So we're in the book of Ephesians again, 6, 10 through 13. So I think uh, we looked at spiritual warfare last time. I'm moving into offensive spiritual warfare, and we're talking about the opposite of defense, not being offensive. And then uh, we're going to look at uh, offensive uh, spiritual warfare part two, where we talk about the sword of the spirit. But before we do that, I, I thought, you know, they need to, even though we've heard it before, we need to know what the defensive armaments are, so we're going to look at that. And then we're going to look a little bit at the main uh, 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 weapons. The Bible says, hold up the shield of faith for the fire, to prevent the fiery darts of the wicked one to come and hit you. What are some of the fiery darts that the enemy uses? And we're going to look at two. One is temptation and accusation and how the shield of faith can help prevent that. And then I'm writing a couple other things uh, that I got going on as well. I've got two more messages, one about a wise man scales the city of the mighty to bring down the stronghold in which they trust. And, and then Psalm 73, I'm, I'm playing with something, how do you win a generation? And so God's just been really, really, and that was just today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, just kidding. Uh, Lord's been really talking to me, so real excited about it. I uh, almost wish I had more time to preach because I only get to preach twice a week, and y'all are going, thank God. No. Um, but we're going to be looking at offensive spiritual warfare today, Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, brethren, it actually just says finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now, there's another scripture I want to read before we get started. Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, Jesus talking to Peter, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, hell shall not prevail against it. So um, as we looked at last time, the biblical worldview is thoroughly supernatural. The Bible teaches us that all people belong to one of two kingdoms, the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. If people are not in Christ, they are in the power of the evil one. God's word gives us a biblical godly worldview of how things really exist in the world that God created and how God intended this world and his creation to work. There is no mistaking the teaching of scripture on this one point. As there is a kingdom of God, so there too is a kingdom of Satan, and the two are embroiled in open conflict. Thankfully, God reveals to us through his word the fact that we are, first of all, in a battle, second of all, that he has equipped us for the battle, and third, that in him, he gives us the tools to live through it victoriously because he won the battle 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. A kingdom worldview will shape your entire vision for Christian living and church life. One of the main reasons Christian groups are so different from one another is their understanding of the grand strategy, how things work. So we're going to be looking, first of all, as the first point I have is taking the offensive. Matthew 12, 12 20, 28 through 39, Jesus said, but if by the Spirit of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. As Christians, our strategy is supposed to be offensive, not towards people, 
but towards the kingdom of darkness. The strong man in this context is Satan. Jesus, who has just released the man from the enemy's power, shows himself and his followers plundering Satan's house. This fits his revelation that Satan is the god of this world holding people in bondage who apart from God, sent, uh, uh, holding people upon in bondage apart from God, and Jesus sends us to liberate captives if we can get past the strong man. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 says, In their case, the, the lost of this world, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what I'm trying to get you to understand is there is an enemy. He has a grand strategy. He's trying to keep people away from Jesus. He's holding people in captivity. He blinds their minds. He keeps them uh, uh, darkened to the things of God. All right? Now, we're going to move on. Don't stop there. I'm just giving you a recap of what I said, a little simpler what language. So Paul explained that our ministry is supposed to be the same as Jesus' ministry. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So Jesus' ministry was reconciliation. Our message is reconciliation. What is reconciliation? In Christ, he was reconciling the world, God was, to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. All right? So therefore, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, and then he says, we implore you, the church, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, he's talking to a, a mixed audience, but he's also talking to those in the church that aren't living right. Okay, So, uh, Jesus came to reconcile people to God. And Paul is teaching us that we are to continue his work. John 17 and 18, Jesus himself says, to, while he's praying to the Father, Father, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them, my disciples, those who come after me, those who believe in me, as you sent me, I am sending them. The goods plundered from Satan's household in our text that we read to begin this point are people we release from the enemy's prison that have been built up, healed, and released to play their part in the mission, in the assignment, in the battle. I got to thinking about this. We really should, when we preach, we really should let people know that if you give your life to God, you're not asking God into your life as much as you're giving your life to God. You are joining a military campaign. Right? So we've made, we've made the Christian life about me, myself, and I. I asked Jesus into my heart. 
I just live a good life. I go to heaven when I die. You know, just try to stay out of trouble. Don't make waves. Don't bother the Antichrist. Don't do any of that. But in reality, the Bible teaches a different perspective, different, teaches a different viewpoint. You might say to yourself, well, wait a minute. I've read the Bible all my life. I've been in church all my life, and I've read the same scriptures that you read. Why is it all of a sudden you're seeing it from a different viewpoint? Well, because I didn't grow up in church. I didn't have the, what? I wanted to say indoctrination, but the bias that you have. I didn't have, and the Lord sent me to a seminary that was very liberal. And the reason he sent me there, because when I went to Bible school, I learned what to believe. But when I went to seminary, they challenged everything that I was taught to believe. And so I had to learn how to think. And I learned how to think. And when I learned how to think, I had to come up with the idea, why do I believe what I believe? Now, there's, we are Assemblies of God Church. Maybe many of y'all here, I don't even think I could do it, could quote off the 16 fundamental, fundamental truths of the Assemblies of God. By the way, they're fundamental truths of the Assemblies, not fundamental truths of the church. Right? Because you can go to other churches, and they have the foundational truths of their denomination. We're not saying that it's wrong. All we're saying is that, oh, my gosh, your denomination threw out four fundamental truths? No, they just don't have that many. Some, some have cardinal truths, and, you know, some, you know, actually the Assemblies has four cardinal truths. They have 16 fundamental truths, but the Baptists have a certain amount of truths. You know, other Pentecostal churches have a certain amount of truths. So don't get hung up on there has to be 16 fundamental truths. There are fundamentals to the faith. Paul talks about that in Hebrews, and he says there's six elementary teachings of the faith. Didn't y'all talk about that? TR, six of them, right? Six of them. Just want to see if you're paying attention. <laughs> well, anyway, what I'm trying to say is that I was, uh, because I learned how to think, the Lord began to show me a different perspective. And yes, it was a challenge. Yes, I had to stretch a little bit. Yes, I saw things differently. But what I present to you is not a different scripture. It's not a different doctrine. It's just a different perspective. I choose to believe that the church can really do what Jesus said we can do. I choose to believe that we can function in this world and actually win, not lose. Well, that's not the way I've been taught. You can believe what you want. But if you get to believe what you want, don't I get to believe what I want? And I... I I want to believe, listen, when I first got saved, I, wanted, I didn't want to go to Bible school and I didn't want to go to seminary because I wanted to fulfill my purpose in life, not in death, in life. I felt like I got called in the ministry. I wanted to preach. I wanted to win souls. And I didn't want Jesus to come back until I had an opportunity to do what he asked me to do. I was actually, in some weird sense, I was fighting him coming back so I could win. I could play the game. But somehow, uh, over the process of time, as I went to church, and as we, it seems like we're being taught that we don't win in this life. We lose. 
That's kind of the mentality that we've been given. But I'm here to tell you that I don't read the Bible that way. I choose to believe that we can win. We can actually see these things happen in our midst. Why is this important? Because every time this happens, lives are changed, families are changed. And when you win enough families, and not just get them in a church, but actually teach them. I'm getting off my notes. Is that okay? But actually teach them how to live the life that Jesus taught his disciples to live, that you don't have to just uh, somehow keep out of the way of the enemy. Don't, know where, don't let them know where you're at. You just hide in the closet and keep still. And one day, you know, uh, uh, Jesus is going to come rescue you out of this world that you're just fighting not to lose your salvation. But Jesus didn't say it. The Bible says about Jesus, he was full of the Holy Spirit and power and he went around doing good healing all that were oppressed of the yeah. devil. And the Bible says that Jesus said to his disciples, the works that I do, greater works than these shall you do. I just believe what he said is true. Well, how come we haven't seen it? Because we haven't believed it. All things are possible to those who believe. Maybe we just need to have a different wineskin so that we can have room for the wine. Let me see if I can get back. It, let's have a vote and see if y'all want me to still be your pastor. <laughs> I'm not safe. If you're looking for a safe pastor, I'm not. Because I'm going to take you in a few different places you may not like. But they're going to be thoroughly biblical. I promise you. They'll be thoroughly, they may not be traditional, but they, may be, they will be biblical as far as I can help it. I try as much as I can to stay biblical. But, um, you know, I, I, I just, I'm tired of the status quo. That's it. That's it. I'm tired of just living the traditional church life. I want to live the overcoming, victorious life. So, the goods plundered from Satan's household are people we released from his prison, built up, healed, and released to play their part in the battle. Isaiah 61, 1 through 4, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. What has he sent you to do? To bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And then, you know, all these people that are mourning, that are depressed, that are captives, that, are, that Jesus has now changed their life. The Bible says they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities. They and the shall repair the devastations of many generations. Of course, the ministry of reconciliation involves evangelism, but it's much more than that. Reconciliation begins, begins when people meet Christ, and it continues as they are nourished, discipled, healed, 
and melded together into a healthy local church. By the way, the, the, I've been thinking about this. My wife came up to me the other day. Out of the blue, she hears from God just in, in unique ways. She said, I feel like the Lord told me that we have a healthy church. I said, but have you seen these people? No. <laughs> but you know, healthy doesn't mean mature yet. It doesn't mean we're all there, but healthy is a good place to be, right? And so I was thankful for that. I'm meditating on that, thinking about that, trying to figure out what, what, how do I help me, Lord, to use me to help this healthy church become all that they're called to be. Because you can have a healthy baby, but the healthy baby's still got to grow to become all that you desire for them to be, right? So anyway, Paul teaches us that that ministry of reconciliation, reconciling people, uh, is, is our purpose. In Philippians 1.27, it says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together, not fighting one another, Fighting together, who do we fight? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, rulers, spiritual weakness in high places. Fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Now, theologians point out that the purpose of the church is to glorify God. Ephesians 1 and 12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. But what glorifies God? Well, there's many things that glorify God, but Jesus showed us when he said in John 17 and 4, I, praying again to the Father, I glorified you on earth. How? By having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Right? So too, we glorify God when we accomplish the work that he gave us to do. What did Jesus do? In Jesus, God invaded the world system to liberate the vast slave population held in bondage by Satan. But they're good people. Well, those good people, if they don't know Jesus, are in uh, captivity to the God of this world who doesn't want their best He's content for them to live good lives as long as they don't give their lives to Jesus because in the end, they're going to go to hell. Or he's content with a church that is converted but not doing anything for God because it allows him to accomplish his purpose. In Jesus, God invaded the world system to liberate the vast slave population held in bondage by Satan. We also are on a rescue mission for the human race. John describes Jesus's and our mission in these words, 1 John 3 and 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, at the cross, Jesus won a victory over the devil, but the devil is still running around. He's still working. 
Now, we can approach the devil not in our authority, but in Christ's authority, not in our name, but in Christ's name, not in our strength, but in his strength, because he lives in us. But we approach him not trying to gain victory, but we approach him enforcing victory. But we still have to destroy the works of the devil. Now, when Jesus put it in a different way when he called Paul in Acts 26, 17 through 18. He says, I am sending you, Paul, to open their eyes, because the devil has blinded minds of those that, uh, unbelievers that they might believe, to open their eyes. How do we open the eyes? By preaching the gospel. Right? So that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is Jesus talking to Paul. This is the ministry that Paul has, but it's also our ministry. I'm not saying we're called to do what the Apostle Paul did, but we're called to the same mission the Apostle Paul was called to. God's strategy for taking ground from Satan's kingdom is to infiltrate it with his own people. Like Paul... We are sent to build a new kingdom of God within this world, within what is presently Satan's domain. You're kidding me. No, I'm not kidding you. Right? So you've heard of wolves in sheep's clothing? No. Yeah, wolves and sheep. We are supposed to be sheep in wolves' clothing. <laughs> we're supposed to be, I like what Chris Valley said, we're supposed to be killer sheep. We're sent out into the world as sheep, but we're sent out with a mission, and we got teeth behind us because Jesus lives inside of us. By building up the body of Christ, we increasingly erode Satan's kingdom. It's called the principle of displacement. Somebody is going to rule and reign. How do, we, how do we minimize the rule and reign of the enemy? We've got to infiltrate his territory and displace him. How do we displace him? By doing the works of God, we destroy the works of the devil. By winning people to the Lord, we take people out of his captivity and bring them into God's army, body, church. Now, all of a sudden, what's happening? We are displacing the enemy's captives and making them God's army. Any real growth of the true church is an act of an aggression to attack on Satan's or, or the enemy's domain. What is the price of having a defensive view, which I believe we have had? We have had a defensive view. The price, Matthew 16 and 18, I told you it was important that we have this scripture as well. Uh, it says, I tell you, Jesus, you are Peter... And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Many Christians fail to understand that our strategy is offensive. Consider a common misunderstanding of this verse. The New Living Translation translated it this way. I say to you, 
that you are Peter, which means rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. See, the New Living Translation translates the word gates as powers. Why? Because they are following the common interpretation of the church being in a defensive posture and continuing it out to a logical end. Just think about it for a minute. How can the gates of a city overpower or conquer an army? Don't armies attack gates when they are storming a city? How could gates ever overcome the church? Many interpreters and translators have completely missed the point here. Gates are defensive structures. If you have a different lens, this verse can and most probably should be read this way. The gates of Hades will not withstand the church. This traditional translation and the outlook that goes with it sees the universal church in danger of being destroyed, but God somehow manages to preserve it faithfully. But Jesus, I believe, is saying that it is Satan's fortress that is in danger and that God will back the church's assault to victory, just like David with Goliath. traditional view they're all hiding in their tents just hoping that God will keep them safe from the giant that wants to call them out and wants to take them out but they're just going to hide in their churches I mean their tents hoping that God will come and somehow rescue them until one person stands up by the name of David who actually believed what God said in his scriptures who was anointed to take off the head of the giant, anointed to attack the enemy and the enemy's armies. And one man went out, not by himself, but in the name of the Lord his God. And this demon that was keeping them bound, he took off his head, and then everything turned around. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh. Jesus is saying that it is Satan's fortress that is in danger and God will back the church's assault to victory. We are the invaders. We seek to knock down the walls and release the prisoners inside. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments. Every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Satan owns the strongholds that we must batter down. Where are these strongholds located? In the mind. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4. In their case, again, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. You know, how does, what are these things? They're arguments, philosophies, ways of thinking. I was thinking about these today. Relativism. There are no absolutes, right? Uh, there, you know, God, you know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter 
really, God's going to save everybody, you know, it doesn't really matter if you believe in God, or, you know, there is no God, you know, all these things uh, that we're about, there, there's no God, so there's no accountability, so whatever I want to do is okay, right, and what's the church saying, yeah, whatever you want to do is okay, no, there is a God, there is truth, and not everything is okay, what's okay is what God says is okay, well, who says that, God, well, I don't believe in God. Therein lies the battle. Well, we need to reach people, so we have to reduce God to a level where they would embrace him. No. I, I, was, uh, I, I didn't write it. I, I, had it, I was going to write it, but when Jesus sat down on the Mount of Transfiguration, I mean the Mount of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he went up to the mountain. Yes, he came down to talk to people, but when he was teaching them the ways of the kingdom, he went up and he sat on his throne because when kings sat down, they were ruling and reigning. He sat down and he brought the disciples up. And he said, let me show you the ways of the kingdom. He didn't come down to their level. He met them where they were at. He loved them where they were at. He talked and fellowshiped them where they were at, but his goal was to bring them up. Because man didn't go up when they left the garden. They went down. We have believed the lie that Satan has put out that we are going up, yet it seems that in everything that he says we're going up, we become more depraved. Isn't that what's ruling the world today? Depravity? Perversion? And you now are, uh, there is something wrong with you, and we're probably going to get cut off the Facebook or YouTube, but I don't care. There's something wrong with you if you believe in what God says, that he cremated, created people, male and female. And you know what? Just because you want to be a different gender, that doesn't mean that you are a different gender. It just means you're confused. And if you want to do it, go for it. Do whatever you want. But you can't make me believe what you want. Because what I believe is written down in this word. And we need to get back to that. And we need to tell the truth. Don't care if you lose all your followings on Facebook. Love people, but love the truth. Right? Jesus, uh, the, the, it says in the Word of God, uh, I used to love to preach the truth, but the Bible says to preach the truth in love. It doesn't say compromise truth. It says preach the truth, but preach it out of heart of love. Well, I can't preach, I can't love them if I don't compromise truth. That's not true. You see, what happens is, you cannot win, and you cannot extract, and you cannot free captives using Satan's weapons. You have to use the weapons that God gave us. This is our weapon. The Spirit of God, the power of God is our weapon. And we can't compromise them. Matthew 16, 21 through 22. 
23. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke the Lord. (laughs) Far be it from you, Lord. I'm calling you, Lord, but you need to listen to me. This shall never happen to you. But the Lord turned and said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. These mindsets, philosophies, ways of thinking, we begin to demolish with the gospel when we get saved, but the work must continue. When we get saved, our spirits are renewed, but our minds are still thinking like the world. That's why over and over again, we this one particular scripture, but there's so many more. Do not be conformed to this world, Romans 12 and 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Ephesians 4, 17, and then 20 through 23. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. You know he's talking to the church. You know why he's saying this? Because that's what they're doing. Don't go back. Don't go down. Go up. Because Jesus has seated you in heavenly places in Christ. Now walk in a manner worthy of that which he has called you to. That's not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. When the church sees its strategies defensive or as a one of self-preservation, we depart from the biblical worldview. Jesus is clear that we are to attack. Remember, we're not to attack people. We are to attack Satan's fortresses that imprison people. They are located in the mind. The whole reason the disciples were to wait in Jerusalem is that Jesus promised that you shall receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, power to do what? To be his witnesses. What kind of witnesses were they supposed to be? They were supposed to be open witnesses, powerful witnesses, preaching in power, healing in power, delivering in power. They were supposed to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Whose domain is that? The enemy's domain. But he empowered them to go into them to get people set free. Just like Jesus came into this dark world, empowered by Satan, won a victory over Satan that he might set us free. And we are set free because of the work that he did. God didn't give them power to survive. He gave them power and us as well to move out into the world and to do the works of God and win people back to God to preach the gospel. Well, it's not a favorable climate to preach the gospel. It wasn't when Peter and John were set before the Sanhedrin either and they said, you better not preach again in his name. And they said, you, you decide whether we should, are to obey God or we're to obey men. And they go back to the church and they have a powwow and they decide, you know this stuff that we're preaching that got us in trouble, the power of God that hit us that got us in trouble, they're telling us we better not do this again. You know what I think we need I think we need more power and they didn't pray God hide us God shield us of course we want God to shield us we don't want want him to do that God uh, uh, help us to be uh, uh, you know um, uh, just 
yeah, let's hope us to hold on to the end and not cause any waves. No, they said, God, you know that power that got us in trouble? We want more of that. Yes. And God answered their prayer because Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, that means according to my will. So that must be his will. Power to dance at the front? No. It's okay to do that. Power to fall out at the front of it all? No, it's okay to do that. We're not saying there's anything wrong with that. But what's the power for? To preach the gospel and to demonstrate it. To do the works of Jesus. To go out into the darkness and bring light. And bring people into the light. Rescuing captives. Setting at liberty those who are oppressed of the devil. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. That's not, a, that's not the great suggestion. That is the great command. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Not some, not most, not just the ones that will build you a big church, but not make disciples. Jesus had a huge crowd, John chapter 6. Many of them were disciples. And he said, I think we need to turn this up a notch. And he said to them, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he said to them, the words that I teach you are spirit and life. So they're spiritual words. They have spiritual meanings behind it. But they couldn't handle it. So you know what they said? We're going to another church. And the Bible says many of his disciples, we would say many of the church members, split and started second Shady Oaks Assembly. And they split and started third and fourth Shady Oaks Assembly. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just trying to get you to understand what they did. They left. So where Jesus turned to the twelve. The twelve. Multitudes. The people there, but Jesus turned it up. He didn't turn it down. He turned it up. And he turned to the 12. And he wasn't lamenting. He wasn't going to change who he was. God is not going to change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This isn't about uh, changing him. It's about changing us. There's no question who is the leader. The only question, people that question that, are, are those that haven't figured out that he's the leader. But he turns to the 12 and he said, are you leaving too? And they said, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. When Christians fail to see, it's the gospel's offensive nature. The result is what some have called fortress theology. This way of thinking accounts for much of the Western church's current ineffectiveness in reaching significant numbers of non-Christians. What is the price of this defensive mindset? Sadly, while many believers today maintain that the evangelical church is growing, study shows that over 90% of so-called church growth in America is nothing but people transferring from one church to another. Thus, due to the church's passivity, the gospel's power to save, heal, and set people free is rendered mute and we actually um, console ourselves that our church is growing, but the church 
is not growing. What is the biblical worldview? It proclaims that Jesus is victor. Not my dad. <laughs> not my brother. But Jesus is victorious. Hallelujah. He is the victor. He won. He's seated at the right hand of God over all. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. And it is in his victory that we are to move out from our present passive defensive posture that has kept us from bringing the powers of his kingdom to the enslaved people of this world. His victory must be proclaimed and must be demonstrated. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to the salvation of those who believe. Yeah, yeah, I know. People, you preach and people get saved. No, no. That word salvation means wholeness. What does it look like? It looks like the woman with the issue of blood that we saw last night who had 12 years of, of an issue of a flow and it just it separated her from people, separated her from her family, separated her from a living. It cost an, 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 her everything and would have taken more. But when she touched Jesus, she was made whole. And he said to her, your faith has made you whole. He didn't say your faith has healed you. He said your faith has made you whole. That word whole is the same word for salvation. It is the power of God to the wholeness, spirit, soul, body, relationships, finances, anything else you can think of. Salvation is the whole person. Families. It is the power of God of salvation to everyone who believes. Now remember, all things are possible to those who believe. Well, I don't believe we're supposed to be offensive. You're not going to see it. You'll never win a battle. You'll always, you cannot win a battle. You cannot win a game. Let's just talk natural. You cannot win a game playing defense alone. You can't, well, you can say, well, yeah, you know, the other team fumbles or whatever. That, that's not how you win a game. Defensive mindset, if you have a true defensive mindset and the other team fumbles, you're just going to cover the ball. You're not going to try to run with it. You're going to protect because that's what defense does, it protects. But you will never score. Well, we'll tie, but we're not in this for a tie. How many people go and join a team so that they can tie? What do you want to play baseball for? Because I want to win. Why do you want to play football? Because I want to win. Why do you want to win? So I can get a trophy at the end. Well, we give trophies to everybody. Yeah? It don't matter whether you do good or not do good. Everybody gets a trophy. But, you know, the kingdom of God doesn't work that way. Well, Jesus isn't politically correct. Really? You're just not getting that? He's king of kings and lord of lords doesn't matter whether he's politically correct. He is correct. And if we're not politically correct, we need to get our politics in line with his politics. I'm sorry. What time is it here? Ooh, I still got time. Acts 4, 29 through 31. I'm almost done. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your service, this is the scripture I was talking about, to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs 
and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Who was doing the signs and wonders? The people that were praying. Jesus was doing it through them. Well, how come we don't see signs and wonders happening today? Are you laying hands on people? Are you believing God that they're going to get saved, healed, delivered, and set free? Because if you believe, then you're going to pray, and if you pray, you give God opportunity to work. Well, I prayed for a hundred people. I prayed for a thousand people. Welcome to the club. But it doesn't change his word. But from what I understand, John Wimber, who was a man greatly used of God, played for a thousand people, got to a time, but he never quit. We got to a time, somebody asked him to pray for him, and he was like, okay. He prayed for them. He didn't expect nothing to happen. They got healed, and after that, man, they just started getting healed left and right. Somehow he got a breakthrough. And we need to believe God that we're going to do whatever God tells us to do. Even if we don't see it right away, at some point, we're going to get a breakthrough, and then what Jesus promised, we will see manifest in our lives. And the Bible says when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Revelations 12 and 11, if you don't believe that we win, the Bible says, and they conquered him. Who? The devil. Well, we're not out to conquer. We're playing defense. That's not what the Bible teaches. They conquered him. They thumped him. How? That's the Rick Elgaro translation. By the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, for they, not, they love not their lives, even to the point of death. Well, you see, if I'm bold, I, I, I could die. I could die uh, uh, physically. I could die emotionally. I could die influentially. I could die, you know, they might take me off Facebook. They might take me off uh, YouTube. And, you know, oh, that's, a, that's the death of a thousand. Not, you, you can't do that. Hello? One of the reasons you can't be bold is because the devil still has his hands on you. He's still got a hold on you because we're afraid of losing something. But when you no longer fear dying, and that's what serving Jesus should give us, is no longer to have a fear of death. I'm not talking about the pain or, or what if this. I'm not talking about that. But you know what? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Knowing that should free us up. What can you do to me? Isn't that what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said? Hey, you know, and this is the greatest man on the planet. According to the Bible, the most influential man that ever lived, King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm not talking about the wisest. The Bible says he was the head of gold of the biggest nation, the most biggest, baddest nation, the G-O-A-T of the time. Right? And what happened? He's looking at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he says, I've made a statue. You better bow down on the statue. If you don't, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to throw you in the fire. And they said, you know, our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down. <laughs> well, they're looking at the fire. They probably turned to each other. I said, yeah, I guess we're going to be barbecue. But they didn't fear death. What they feared was God. Right? Because what good is it to live in this life and lose your eternal life? But if you have eternal life and you lose a battle in this life, hey, it's okay. You're going to win. The only way we don't win is to be apathetic, slothful, passive. We've got, thank you, sloth, uh, a, a lazy servant. 
here, here's what you gave me. I didn't use it because I didn't want to lose it. So I just hid it in the ground. And what did Jesus say about that? What did, what did the Lord? No, it's not good. Give, take it away from him and give it to someone that has done something with what I gave to him. Right? So what I'm saying is that I'm just trying to give you a different perspective. I've, I've gone through the scripture. You can go back. Look at the scriptures yourself. Read the scriptures yourself. If you come to a different conclusion, I'm okay with that. Come talk to me, whatever. But I'm just trying to give you a different mindset. It's time that we be set free from the things that have confined us as a church and allow God to flow through us so that what he wants is, can become a reality. And that is that his desire is that not just that we get one of our members' families saved. That's important to him. It's important to us as well. But he's actually looking to see cities changed. Our nation change. He wants the world change. And how does that happen? Salt and light. Go into the world, be the salt, be the light, and let God use you. Take it to the enemy. If God be for us, who can stand against us? Amen.